Welcome to Church Project. I'm not the normal pastor, if we have such a thing. <laughs> is that right? Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, thanks for choosing this Sunday uh, to come. Um, yeah, we do things uh, a little bit differently. We have Amagos, which April did a really great job. Good job, April. We try to show how we see God in our daily lives through daily objects and the things that we interact with. Awesome. Seriously. Um, <clears throat> Aaron made a big mistake. Aaron's our pastor, and he made a big mistake of giving me the microphone. <laughs> and uh, so there's a pretty good chance, odds are, that I'll say something unchurchy, and I apologize <laughs> in advance for that. Um, is Jerry's not here, right? Well, good news for Jerry. I didn't bring any pictures, so when he listens to this, he won't be missing out on anything. Um, housekeeping things, we do, we do not have church next Sunday, so you can come, but nobody will be here. Uh, we choose not to meet on the weekend uh, before uh, 4th of July, just so people can hang out with family, go on vacation, do whatever they want to do. We encourage you to interact and hang out together with people that you care about. Um, also, we won't be having house church. This will be the last week of house church, um, and there won't be any house church during the month of July. So I encourage you, if you're involved in a house church, that to use that time to get together with um, people in your house, house church outside of that setting and um, have fun. Then in August, on the first Sunday back uh, from house church, we're going to have a barbecue and hangout pool party. And so if you don't get the emails from Church Project, um, there should be cards, or maybe not. Um, there's cards somewhere, and you can write your email address and uh, they're probably on that back table, and if they're not, they will be by the time I'm done speaking. Right, Jared? <laughs> um, and sign up for the new e-newsletter. It's really short, but it gives all the details of everything that you need to know about what's going on. So for the past few months, we've been looking through the book of Acts. Um, it's a really cool book. It's a great book. Um, Acts is going the way of the dinosaur, but like Jurassic Park... We'll bring it back to life in about four weeks. In the meantime, we're going to look at some of the stories of Jesus, parables that Jesus told, and uh, so I'm going to start um, that series uh, today. The story that I'm going to speak about, though, it's very intriguing. It's one of sex and sin and money and scandal. And a priest. Ooh. <laughs> this is what you came to church for, right? This is a great story. Let's pray before we start. <laughs> I feel kind of dirty. Father God, thank you for bringing us all here. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather um, as your followers to worship you as our God to sing songs for you. Also, God, we just pray over the scripture that we will be reading today. God, we just pray that you would speak to us through it. Your spirit is here with us. Um, 
we invite your spirit to move through this building, through our hearts, through our lives. God, I just pray that uh, you'll be glorified. We will be convicted. We will want to be more like you after today. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I went to California for a couple weeks. We got back a couple weeks ago. um, And we went to a a beach town called Santa Cruz. Has anybody ever been to Santa Cruz before? It's, uh, It's a really neat little town. It's interesting because it's got this weird, like, free love hippie um, San Francisco vibe to it, but it's also got this, like, kind of punk rock skater surfer culture as well, and they kind of mix together. And so me and my two sons, we went to Santa Cruz, and we wanted to check it out. I grew up as a skateboarder, and Santa Cruz was a big deal as a skateboarder. It's a skateboard company, and a lot of skaters came out of Santa Cruz, and it's this kind of, to me, it was like, oh, this reminds me of my childhood. So I wanted to for sure check it out. And so we were walking um, through Santa Cruz, and we passed like a farmer's market, and it was a big farmer's market, and there was a lot of people, and they were selling a lot of different things, and it was very kind of hippie vibe. And we passed by this uh, Volkswagen microbus. Does everybody know what one of those, like the 60s Volkswagen bus? Um, I had one when I was a kid, or my parents did. It was good times, no air conditioning. Um, and uh, it had the tapestries in the windows, and it was totally hippied out. So there's a group of kids, 20-somethings probably, that were sitting in this car, and um, they were hanging out. And as we passed by, my 13-year-old son, Elijah, he says, smells like Colorado. <laughs> so everybody laughs because you know what that smell is. Um, clearly, Colorado has a reputation. And um, we have a state flower, we have a state bird, we have a state dinosaur, and we have a state smell, apparently. Um, But smell and aroma, odor, whatever you want to call it, it evokes some kind of emotion within us, some memories, maybe some life choices. Um, But smell has the power to affect us some ways. Uh, Maybe you smell a certain perfume and it reminds you of your grandma or aftershave and it reminds you of your dad. Uh, Maybe you smell motor oil and it reminds you of that time that you and your dad worked on a car together. Um, Maybe you smell pine trees and you think about that camping trip that you went on with friends. Uh, Maybe you smell burnt steak and it reminds you that you're an idiot and you fell asleep on the couch and the steaks are burning. (laughs) I've been there. Um, But smell has this emotion that goes along with it. Um, There's, back in the day, a long time ago, um, people used to keep time based on smell. This is true. They used to have calendars, um, and there was a smell, there was a perfume that went with the calendar, and and this smell associated with this month, and this smell associated with this month, and so they kind of kept time with smell. So smell has something about it that evokes some emotion. Um, I'm a weirdo, and uh, a lot of you know that, and when I travel alone, I'm, I'm a very outgoing person. I hate to be alone. That's like my biggest um, kind of fear slash, um, I don't know what, what to say, but I just do not like being alone. I like to be around other people. I like socializing. Um, 
And so when I travel alone, oftentimes I want to hang out with people. And uh, sometimes there's nobody to hang out with. So I do something that I maybe shouldn't recommend everybody do. But I go and find homeless people and hang out with them. And here's how you do this. You walk up to a group of homeless men and you say, who wants breakfast? And almost all of them say yes. And so you take them to breakfast and uh, you sit down and you can quickly get kind of a bead on what kind of people you're dealing with through conversation. And there's definitely some people that I've sat down with breakfast, sat down for breakfast with and thought, I do not want to hang out with this person. And then there's other people that are like, I could hang with him. And so one time when I was traveling in Nashville, I had just started working for Youth for Christ. I didn't know anybody in the organization, and I was at a conference, and it was a big nationwide conference, and I didn't know anybody, so I found a group of homeless guys. We went out to breakfast, and I kind of hit it off with this guy named Bill. And uh, so I told Bill after breakfast, I said, listen, Bill, I want to see Nashville. I know it's known for music. I know it's known for nightlife. You going to show me Nashville? And he said, yeah, I'll show you Nashville. And I said, okay, let's meet at 6. I'll buy dinner. We'll go out to dinner, and then you can show me Nashville. So <clears throat> that evening, I met up with Bill. And Bill wasn't from Nashville, but he spent his winter months in Nashville because it was warmer. I guess that's what you do when you're homeless. You can kind of go wherever you want. So he goes up north. Uh, to Chicago and Michigan during the summertime and then comes down to Nashville during the wintertime. And so we met up and uh, I found out that Bill was a former drug addict and had made some poor life choices. He had a grown daughter that he hadn't seen in many, many years. Um, He hadn't seen his wife or ex-wife in many years. He felt like that he had made so many life choices that led him down this path that there's no way that he could go back to his old life. And so he just accepted the fact that he was homeless. So Bill and I walked to the convention center, and there was this Christian singer named Nicole Nordman. Anybody ever heard of her? All right, so she was doing a concert there, so I thought, well, let's go over there and check that out real quick. So Bill and I walk into this concert. It's filled, this uh, convention center's filled with um, youth workers, um, Christian leaders, ministry leaders from all over the country. There's probably, I don't know, six or seven hundred people there and listening to this concert. And we walked in and we were standing there and it wasn't long before we started getting stared at because Bill was dressed like a normal homeless person. He was wearing two pairs of pants. He was wearing a couple shirts, a hoodie, two jackets, a beanie, and he had mittens on. And He was wearing everything that he owned. Clearly, Bill had not washed his clothes for a while, and today was not shower day either for Bill. And so we started getting looks from people. And we had one guy come up to us, and he said, Hey, are you lost? Do you need some help? And I said, No. I showed him my badge for the conference. I said, My name's Ryan. This is my friend Bill. We're just here to see the concert. And that clearly didn't satisfy him. And uh, people started, you could kind of see people whispering and staring and, you know, kind of looking over their shoulder. And before too long, a security officer came and said, hey, listen, people are complaining and you guys, Bill, you have to go. Ryan, you can stay. 
And uh, I said, no, that's, I'll go with Bill. And so Bill, Bill and I started walking through Nashville. And we walked kind of down the, what's the main street, Jeremy, in Nashville, by the Ryman? Do you know? I don't know. Um, there's a main little drag there, and there's like a bunch of barbecue and a bunch of music joints and that kind of stuff. And so Bill said, I've got a place for you to check out. So I thought, okay, let's do it. So we walk to this alley, and to call it an alley would be a misnomer because it's really about as wide as this aisle. And it was two buildings on each side, and I thought, oh, man, what is going to happen in this alley? I probably do not want to know. And uh, so we walk down. There's no signage, and there's just a metal door. And we open the door, and it's this jazz band that's playing, and it is unbelievable. And the bar was called Mardi Gras. So Bill and I went in. We hung out, listened to music, hung out together. No judgment at the bar, by the way, which I thought was kind of interesting. And uh, so we hung out there, listened. We talked to the musicians for a little while. And then finally, it was about 1 o'clock, and I thought, now's the time to wrap it up. You know, I, it's good enough. So Bill and I were walking back to my hotel room, and my hotel was by the convention center. And so we're walking along, and we're talking, and I'm kind of watching where I'm going, and as I'm walking, I notice Bill's voice kind of fading away in the background, and I, and I turn around, and Bill's continuing to have a conversation with me while urinating and walking down the road. Um, that's when I knew it's time for me to go to bed. <laughs> I uh, wished Bill a, a good night, and um, I went back to my hotel room. When I got back to my room, though, I noticed something. I stunk. Uh, some of Bill's stink had rubbed off of me. And I was kind of proud of the fact that Bill's stink had rub- rubbed off on me. And I felt close to Jesus in that moment. Don't get me wrong. I rarely do the right thing. I make a lot of mistakes. I'm not trying to tell this story because I think I'm somebody special. Every once in a while, the planets align and something good happens to me and I feel like I was Jesus. And I felt that way because as Bill's stink was rubbing off on me, I hope that a little bit of Jesus was rubbing off on Bill. And it was an honor for me to be judged along with Bill. And today, to today, it's one of my favorite travel stories. So we're going to look at a story that Jesus Uh, tells, and it's found in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It's page 596 in the Blue Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, there's some on the ends of the rows, and uh, you can use that Bible. It's 596, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And uh, Aaron did 50 verses last week. That was a miracle. I've never experienced that from Aaron before. There was one time that Aaron did a sermon on four words and 50 verses. So I'm going to do 51 because I'm a one-upper. No, I'm not going to do <laughs> So let's read this uh, story together. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat, him being Jesus, asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold... A woman of the city who is a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining 
at a table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have some, something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 dollars or 500 denarii, sorry, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them would love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them, sorry, wiped them with her hair. Now you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Several things stand out to me in these verses but the whole of it makes me want to be like Jesus. And there's a couple of facts, a couple of things that are worth uh, pointing out as reference to the story. So an alabaster jar or an alabaster box. Alabaster is a, a precious stone, and they would use alabaster to make um, jars for perfume or things that had a very um, potent smell, and they wanted to... Um, preserve that smell, and so perfume or ointment that had essential oils and smells like that, they would store in alabaster. Because at that time, most things were stored in clay pots, and clay pots, um, they, can be, they can absorb odors and they can release odors. So if you wanted to preserve something for a long time and you didn't want that odor to get out, then you'd put it in alabaster because then it was kind of um, preserved. So that's one thing. Um, a denarii is a silver piece. About 500 denaries is a year's worth of wages. So um, that's a good reference. Simon, the Pharisee, he was a priest or a religious leader. Um, the woman, who was a sinner, was a harlot. She was the town whore or whatever you want to call her. She was a prostitute. Um, she was a very sinful person. So <clears throat> Simon, seeing this happening in his house... He cannot see this woman as a person. He sees this woman as a sinner, as a prostitute, as somebody who he does not want in his house. And having her in his house, around his friends, he's very ashamed. And he's unable to see this act, this beautiful act that this woman is doing for Jesus, for what it is. And he's embarrassed for Jesus. And he even says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him, for she is a sinner. So he's kind of, uh, number one, objectifying her, but also saying, man, 
I'm embarrassed that this is even happening in my house. Rather than Simon feeling guilty for not doing his job as a host, he transposes his shame onto this woman. Unable to see this act of redemption. And Jesus replies to Simon, Do you see this woman? You entered my house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, washed them with uh, her hair. You gave me no kiss. So he's, Jesus is then saying to Simon, Listen, you feel guilty and ashamed that this woman's in your house. You should feel ashamed that you're not doing your job as a host, that this woman had to do your job. Jesus is taking that same shame that Simon's throwing on the woman and throwing it back at him and saying, shame on you, Simon. If you want to start judging, then let's start judging. Because if we want to have this conversation, Simon, guess what? I can judge you for not doing your job as a host. So when Simon, when this woman cracks open this alabaster jar and this ointment and this perfume begins to fill the room, the smell of this ointment, and everybody's noticing this. This is not like something that's happening in a corner. This is something Jesus is reclining at his table and this woman is there and she's making a scene. And Simon sees this act and he does not smell the odor of the perfume and what it re- represents. He smells the stench of a sinner, of a life gone wrong, a woman who had wasted her existence. And his mind can't come to terms of why this is even happening. Why would Jesus allow somebody like this to touch him, to be around him? Doesn't he understand that some of her stink is going to end up on him? Jesus is defiling himself by associating with her. And Jesus sees this interaction in a totally different angle. Jesus is engulfed by the smell. He's enthralled by the smell. The smell of a sinful woman who's being washed clean, who's being purified. A woman who's humbling herself, who's sacrificing herself, who's sacrificing her perfume that was of great value to wash his feet and humiliate herself. Jesus sees this act as not getting his feet washed, but a soul that's being washed clean of sin. So Jesus, being the storyteller that he is, tells the story of two money lenders, or a money lender and two debtors. And he says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the large debt. And he said to them, You have judged correctly. This is a short story, just a couple of sentences, but there's a lot of things that are said in this. So we have a money lender, we have two debtors. Both debtors cannot pay back their debt. That's very important to understand. The verse says, when the debtors cannot pay. One debtor owed a year's worth of wages, the other owed six weeks or so of wages. And clearly there's a huge difference between the two debts. But the important thing to remember is neither of them could pay back their debt. They both owed and they couldn't pay it back. But their debts were forgiven. One owed a lot, one owned a little, but they owed, and now they don't. They were forgiven. So who do you associate with who in the story? So 
Who is the money lender in this story? Jesus, I think we could all agree, would be the money lender. Who's the debtor that owes 500 silver pieces? The prostitute. Who's the one that owes 50? Simon. So whenever you're trying to accomplish something, a task or a project or anything like that, um, you have a process, a route, and you have a destination. You have a place that you're trying to get to. Has anybody ever used Waze for driving directions? Anybody? A few people? Okay. Waze is this sweet app. Um, I recommend it. Um, what it does is it takes into a bunch of different factors like traffic, weather conditions, um, road conditions, all these different things, and you put in where you want to go, and it tells you the best route to get to where you want to go. And sometimes it takes you a little bit off the beaten path. It's not always the, the shortest distance, but it's the fastest distance. It calculates all these different things and says, if you go this way, you'll arrive at your destination at this time. But then it also says that if you go this way, it'll take two minutes longer. If you go this way, it'll take ten minutes longer. But ultimately, you always end up at your destination. Whichever route you choose, you'll end up where you want to be. <clears throat> the outcome of the debtors is the same. The place that they ended up was the exact same place. They owed something that they couldn't repay, and they were alleviated of their debt. The route in which they went to get there was totally different. One, Simon, thought he was choosing the right route of being this holy religious leader and going down this one road, and he didn't have much debt. And this other woman, who was uh, a prostitute, clearly made some poor choices in life, was viewed as a sinner by the people in the town. Everybody knew who she was. She had a reputation. She had chosen a different route. But ultimately... They ended up at the same place. There are people in this room that believe that they've done so much in their life that they couldn't possibly be forgiven. That your debt is too big for Jesus to forgive you. That you haven't come to terms with the fact that you uh, need a Savior and that your debt can be alleviated by Christ. And this is not a happy place to live in. And God invites you into a place of forgiveness. He wants to forgive that debt. He wants to bring you to that destination. And if you're that person and you recognize that you have sin in your life, you're almost to your destination. You just don't realize it yet. Jesus loves you and he wants you to love him your debt of sin can be totally washed away. There are other people in this room that might think, I'm not that bad. You know, I've done a few things in my life, but on a whole, I'm a pretty good person. And if I were to die today, I'd probably be good enough to make, it, make the cut. You know, I might just have to uh, slide under the pearly gate, but I could make it in. <clears throat> And oftentimes you look at around and you say, well, at least I'm not as bad as this other person. I'm not as bad as the town harlot. I'm not as bad as Bill, the homeless guy. I'm not as bad as my coworker. 
you look around and you start judging other people and saying, in comparison, I'm not as bad. This is a really bad place to be. The worst place for any person to find themselves is to be indebted and not realize it. To be indebted to sin and not realize that you are sinful. If you're this kind of person, you're lost. And you don't know that you're lost. And you have no idea where you're going. But Jesus wants you to love him. And Jesus wants to forgive you. Your debt of sin can be washed clean as well. So let me ask you this question. Who are you in the story? Are you the debtor that owns five, owes 500 denarii? Or the debtor that owns, owes 50? Does it even matter? The outcome is the same. Whether you've lived your life as a good person or you've lived, done, raised hell and done whatever, it doesn't matter because the outcome can be the same. Whether you've committed one sin or a million, it's exactly the same. There's only one sin that you've ever committed that really matters, and that was your very first sin. Does anybody remember their very first sin? I don't remember it, but that was really, that was the deal breaker. That was the one that made all the difference in the world, and nobody remembers it. I don't want to get into a debate about original sin and all that kind of stuff, but there was a sin that occurred that separated you from God, and that's the only one that mattered, and all the other ones after that don't matter. You can be forgiven. We all have debt, and each one of us has debt that we can't repay. We are all sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God. The good news is this. We all have the opportunity to have the smell of our sins cleansed from us. The outcome is the same. Regardless of whether you owe a little or a lot, Christ's blood will wash you clean. That sin, that smell, will no longer be. Just stop for a second. Smell it. It's that new human smell. You can be a new creation in Christ if you're willing to just say, I made some mistakes, I messed up, but I need a Savior, and that Savior forgives me and loves me. I want to ask you to bow your head for a minute or so. Are you in debt today? Do you feel the weight of that debt, whether it's a lot or a little? Do you feel that on your shoulders? Do you need your debt forgiven? Are you comparing your debt to someone else's in an attempt to make yourself feel less indebted? Are you overwhelmed in your debt that you think you can't possibly be forgiven? I'd like to invite you to just pray that if you're in that place where you feel like my debt is too much, that I can't possibly be forgiven, I want you to just know that the Christ has forgiven far worse. He's carried the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders. And his blood that was shed was cleansing enough to wash the stink of your sin away forever.
He doesn't mind the smell. He's willing to take it. But if you're that person who thinks, I'm not that bad, maybe it's a time in your life where you just say, whether I'm good or bad, it doesn't matter. I do have the stink of smell of sin on my life. And I need that washed off of me. Today, as you pray, I just pray that God would work in your life and through your life and through your heart so that you could recognize that it doesn't matter if you've done a lot or a little. You're in a place that needs to be forgiven. And the outcome could be your sins washed away. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the opportunity uh, to come before you, to have the knowledge of Scripture, to have the stories of Jesus, to be able to point us in the direction of forgiveness. God, we are so thankful that we don't have to live in our filth and our sin and our stink any longer, that you can wash us clean. God, we invite you to wash us, to let your blood be good enough to wash us clean. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.